Hello. Hi. Shall we start? Yes, we can start. Hi, Debbie. Um, so we'll start now. Okay. Uh, hello, everyone. Um, I hope you all are doing good and are safe. My name is Priyanka, and uh, I am a UX researcher and trainer at UX Expert. Uh, also, today is Dashera, so whoever is in India and celebrating Dashera, happy Dashera, everyone. Um, I welcome you all to today's UX talk. UX Expert is one of the top 10 user experience uh, service provider companies in India. And uh, Mr. Tushar Deshmukh is the founder and CEO of the UX Experts. He is also the director of UX UI Training Lab, which provides professional training in human-computer interaction, usability, user psychology, user research, prototyping tools, Hello. and front-end development in various yeah. languages. And Tushar is working towards yeah, many more the, uh, courses related to UX to be launched soon. Through this platform, he is not only training people, but also provides jobs as well as entrepreneurship opportunities to his students. He is a visiting professor at Symbiosis Institute of Design and has given speeches at various other conferences. He has been working in the field for more than 20 years now. And uh, he works as a UX consultant for various other companies and is a UX advisor for Amplify Reach. He is also founder of Organize My Hotel. Thank you, Tushar, for creating such an amazing platform on behalf of all the UXers. And uh, it's a great pleasure for me to introduce our speaker today, uh, Debbie Levitt, founder and principal of Delta CX. She describes herself as the Mary Poppins of CX and UX. She flies in, finds the true problem, improves everything she can, makes the magic happen, sings a few songs, and flies away to the next project or even sticks around if needed. If you guys don't know who Mary Poppins is, it's a character from the 60s musical fantasy Disney movie, uh, Mary Poppins. You should really watch the movie. It's a good movie. Anyway, uh, Debbie, is a dedicated, uh, Debbie is dedicated to transforming companies, departments, uh, teams, projects, products, services, and experiences by focusing on the full arc of the customer experience. She focuses on shifting away from trends and non-working approaches and builds up what guides customer value and prioritizes quality over speed. She's been specializing in customer experience, user experience, interaction design, user experience uh, design, usability, process flows, information architecture, research, and testing since 1995. She is also a keynote speaker, and she speaks to and trains both CX and UX teams, as well as non-CX UX teams and leaders. Uh, she has published two books so far and also co uh, uh, and currently co-writing another book on UX, which is to be published yet. Uh, she, ha uh, she has also written quite a few articles on Medium and she has a YouTube channel called DeltaCX.tv where she uh, comes live two to three times a week and interacts with people all around the world. And those are really good. I've attended those. Um, and today uh, she is going to talk to us about how to stop evangelizing UX and what to do instead. Welcome, Debbie. 
So now I would request Tushar to initiate the talk. And before I had to um, hand it over to him, I would request you all to keep your devices on mute and switch your t uh, video off. Um, and thank you, Tushar. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Priyanka, for this uh, for welcoming everyone. Uh, thanks, Devi, for giving us time for UX community here in India and everybody. So as today's Dashera is our uh, festival, so I wish everybody happy Dashera. And so, so I def uh, so before we start uh, on for today's topic, so just I give two minutes for UX talk. So US Talk is a uh, platform which I started during COVID times. Uh, we so far we have good number of uh, uh, community. We have built uh, we we are build good number of community. We have continuously following uh, people are following US Talk. Uh, I am happy that there are good speakers are also joining uh, from since March. Uh, we are doing this activity. So after UX talks, uh, probably in January, everything COVID scenarios will get, uh, we will start more activities uh, like workshop, conferences, physical activities are planned. And definitely we are also waiting to, everything should get normalized as soon as possible. So yes, so today's uh, we have a Debbie with us and as Priyanka is given an introduction. So, I think she is very much active on LinkedIn and a lot of videos. I think last one I think is the 83 number, right? Uh, you have broadcasted 83 number, and there was I, I saw Darren also is there. Darren is also one of our UX talk earlier. Uh, so great. Uh, I think today's uh, topic is also very excited uh, because as a UX designer developer. There is always a battle between UI development. Uh, here in India, people are still get confused between UX and UI, and suddenly now new term is in a market that is a CX. So again, uh, people get confused. So it is now they are up to start understanding level of uh, UX and UI, and suddenly new term is CX. So people get definitely uh, struggling for this terminologies and their backgrounds. So we have different different background people here in India who work in IT sector. They are either they come from a design background or they learn and they practice UX processes and they build their career. So I hope today's what topic you are covering will be will be really help them not only as a UX or as a CS as a background, even how they can build up few things some tips for their careers and uh, so let's start so you can i already have screen share so you can you can start thanks one second for everybody for joining and let's i'll hand over to debbie Okay, thanks to everybody. I hope you can see my screen. Let me know if you can't. Uh, obviously, thanks to everybody at UX Talks, Tushar and Priyanka for the beautiful introduction. I don't even have to introduce myself now. You all know me very well. Um, you can see my screen, right? Yes, we can. 
Okay, because I'm not checking the chat room. So if people are writing me things, I'll, I'll look at the end. If you have sure. questions as I go, please everybody put them in the chat room and at the end of the presentation, I'll answer all of your questions. Uh, the presentation runs about an hour and then I'm happy to stay as long as it takes to answer people's questions. If you have a question you'd like answered more privately, my email's on the bottom of all the slides, please get in touch. Um, and as Priyanka said, you can also find me, I'm not a big Twitter person, but you can find me there at Delta underscore CX, same for Instagram. I'm very active on LinkedIn, so you can find me as Debbie Levitt uh, and, and follow me there. And I'm super active on YouTube where I go live two, three, four times a week, uh, sometimes with interviews, sometimes with lessons. Tuesday, I do office hours, ask me anything. We just changed clocks, so unfortunately, all of these are at about 11 p.m. your time in Italy. In, uh, I'm, in, I'm in Italy, you're in India, or wherever you are. So for India, I know it's a little bit late, but maybe before you fall asleep, I can uh, teach you some things and help out. And also uh, on these slides, you're going to see a little camera icon come up. And that just means that my slides are done animating. Uh, there's no, there won't be any more changes to that slide. So if you wanted to take a screenshot or a picture, that camera tells you it's a good time if you'd like to do that. So uh, there you go. Uh, let's see, what else can I tell you? Uh, that's probably that. So let's jump in. We've got a lot to talk about. Uh, also, very quickly, I am shifting my language more towards CX. I'm using UX a little bit less and I'm using CX more. I don't have slides on this. I'm just telling you um, because uh, it, by definition, CX is the whole arc of the customer experience, including services and, and in-person experiences. And UX tends to be thought of as screens and digital. And I know that many of us do so much more than that. And so I've noticed that, that most people think of UX as this and CX as this. And so I've been shifting my language towards CX because I believe we want to be involved in all of it, not just some of the digital things. So I'll use both terms, but to me, they're, they're mostly interchangeable. Um, so, hey, if you are working in CX or UX uh, anywhere around the world, you've probably noticed we're in trouble. We're misunderstood. We're circumvented. We're belittled. We're overruled. And you know a lot of the problems that can happen because of that. I don't have enough time to tell you about how Agile and Scrum and other methodologies have their books and training and materials that exclude CX or UX. They don't even mention us. Some will say, yeah, you need UX, but just get an engineer to read a UX book. Safe Agile, which is one flavor of Agile, suggests that UX isn't on the Agile team because they've been too siloed. Yes, siloing us is their solution for us being siloed. And uh, SAFE also claims that they're going to empower agile teams to do their own UX, but we're not on that team. Uh, they also mentioned that you should include, this is a quote, include the design perspectives of product management, system architecture, business owners, information security, operations, and shared services, end quote. Sounds like the Agile team is going to do UX work with everybody at the company except us. Ouch. I think I need my crying uh, overlay for that. Ouch, ouch. It makes 
me feel like someone at Safe Agile must have had a really bad breakup with someone in UX and they wanted revenge. And this is the tip of the iceberg of the problems you know are happening at workplaces. Our solution has traditionally been to evangelize CX and, and what we do to anybody who will listen. I see job descriptions that require UX evangelism. That tells me People at this company don't understand or respect UX. Good luck working here. No other role at your company spends time and effort evangelizing themselves the way that we do. Developers aren't making PowerPoints to explain why it's important to hire qualified developers and let them write code. QA isn't holding meetings to teach everybody the importance of testing software. It's just us, and it's making us look weird and whiny. It's not working. There are many things people do not want to be sold. A new religion, going vegan, and the value of UX. So I tried something new. Two years ago, maybe even more than that now, over two years ago, I wrote a two-day workshop aimed at non-CX, non-UX roles to try to figure out, could I explain CX and UX to them and how to collaborate better with us um, without sounding like an evangelist? And I wrote a two-day workshop. I narrowed it down to some hour and hour and a half and short conference versions. And I started applying to conferences, but not in UX. I started applying to DevOps, Engineering, Agile, and Lean conferences. And I ended up getting accepted to a lot of them. And I spent 2018 and 2019 traveling the world um, at my own expense, unfortunately, talking to engineering managers, developers, QA, product managers, project managers, some business analysts, and some agile coaches. And um, so what I want to tell you first is give you the five-minute version of what I say to them when I do this talk or when I do it as a private corporate training. Um, so for example, I teach them, what is UX? Now, this is my joke slide in Italian. It's my only slide in Italian, but it says, what is UX? And it uses famous Italian children's cartoon characters. I walk them through the short version of user-centered design so they can understand three key things. We don't just draw boxes on a page. What we do takes time and what we do takes expertise. I explain that their current process is probably to build what a CEO or product manager wants, QA it, get it on a server, and wouldn't you know that person sees it and says, yeah, I've changed my mind. Now they have to rebuild, retest, cycle, cycle, cycle. If CX and UX were correctly integrated, the process would look more like what's on the screen now. Changes of mind can be okay during CX because it's easier for us to change wireframes or prototypes and retest than to have developers rebuild. I explained to them my four horsemen of bad UX, my registered trademark in America. They are frustration, confusion, disappointment, and distraction. It's an easy model I came up with to help UX people and non-UX people 
explain what might be going wrong for the customer uh, to be able to call these by name. And instead of just say, the user won't like it, it's better to say the, the user will be frustrated and here's why. The user will be confused and here's why. Uh, it's what we should do looking at our own work and it's what we should do when someone else comes up with a terrible idea. And then of course, test. And I also talk about lean and MVPs, and I explain that if we're going to take a minimum viable product approach, we really should take a minimum valuable product approach. I remind everybody that the guy who wrote the lean startup book said, what if we found ourselves building something that nobody wanted? In that case, what did it matter if we did it on time and on budget? And I remind them that we can be involved in collaborating with product and engineering to prioritize stories and features, to find the right balance and get value to the customer. I have a huge slide where I remind them nobody puts UX in the corner. Since discovering the Lean UX book, which I believe is one of the worst books ever written, Safe Agile changed from a methodology that included UX specialists at all levels to us being a recycle your garbage icon in the bottom left in some sort of gray bar of things Safe doesn't know what to do with. We're clearly excluded from everything that's going on. And I show lots of slides about how CX and Agile can work together. And on this slide, I explain where we can fit into different aspects of an Agile process, whether or not you're doing safe, and that we're a true partner, a true collaborator, and unless you're doing dual or tri-track Agile, we can sprint along with you, but we have to be far ahead. Uh, and I also remind them one of the worst things about Agile is when other people try to estimate my time. All these people who are bad at UX have no idea what I'm going to do or how long it takes. They have to include us and make sure we're talking about what time we need to do a quality job. And I remind them, excuse me, <clears throat> If CX or UX is a bottleneck on projects, you need to hire more people and the right people, not expect us to train other people to do, their, to do our jobs. Those people don't have time to do our jobs. They're doing their jobs. And I talk about how you can measure all of this before and after your CX revolution, both internally and externally. So externally might be customer satisfaction, conversions, app ratings, and other metrics. And internally with better culture, better process, and things like, I bet engineers will be able to estimate their time more accurately when working from vetted CX designs and prototypes, rather than trying to estimate from user stories or somebody describing what this product will be. And I close by reminding them that what they've been doing or tried in the past probably isn't CX or UX to a CX expert. Lots of non-CX roles are creating methods that belittle, downplay, or remove CX specialists, and the companies that are trying them find they don't work. It's time to try again and get this right by correctly integrating qualified practitioners and processes. And scene. And uh, you can check this out if you want to know more on the deltacx.com website, but 
that's the short version of what I've been traveling the word, world talking about. I think I'm giving this like three times in the next month. I'm still doing this program, though I've been rewriting it and improving it. And I don't ask for empathy anywhere in this presentation. I don't say design thinking. I don't say, don't you care about real users? Many humans are low on empathy, and these humans typically don't have the self-awareness to know they're low on empathy. So they assume they're compassionate, caring, understanding, and generous, even when we know they're not. And we work with these people. We see their comments on social media posts. And if there's one thing we should know by now, it's that we can't create empathy. We can't wake them up. If we could, we would undo racism immediately. The world would be very different if we could create empathy, which means, number one, stop telling low empathy people to have empathy or have more empathy. Unless they choose to begin a long and deliberate path of self-improvement, they can't experience more empathy than they happen to have right now. We need to have enough empathy to see who is low empathy and understand that being outraged that they don't seem to care about users is not how we will appeal to them. For those people, we have metrics and ROI, which I'll talk about later. So this fresh angle was working, but when I first gave this presentation a couple of years ago, I have to tell you, it was bad. People didn't like it. I got some negative feedback. They thought it was an advertisement. They thought it was UX evangelism. They felt like they were being sold something. So I knew I had to rewrite it and try again and try harder to make it sound like it's not UX evangelism. I'm not selling you something. Um, and since I rewrote it, I've had really excellent reviews of the talk. Now, I don't say that for ego. I say that because I changed what I said and I got something different from the audience. And that reminds us that shifting what we say can change how people receive it. And that's going to be important for fixing some of our problems. When I've got 60 minutes or more with an audience or when I do the private corporate training, I start with a live poll. What do you believe about UX? All of the choices are negative and they can choose more than one. So you can see people happily voting for things like anybody can do UX and UX isn't agile and UX is a waste of budget. And of course, my presentation dispels all of these myths, but it's a nice starting point because for the private corporate training version, here's where I end. Give me some words or phrases that describe UX. It helps the audience see how far they've come from the earlier poll. And I tell them if they still believe all of those things, we're not agile, we're not lean, we waste budget, write them here. And you can see that by the end of the training, the responses are positive. Um, so again, this is not for ego. This is to tell you how we say things can change how people hear it, understand it, and what we get back from them. So we have to take a look at how our actions, words, and choices as practitioners, as managers, as teams. And we have to watch that to see where doing something new can send a stronger message than evangelize and pray with me. 
So that tells you what I've been doing and how I know typical evangelism really usually is not working. So what can we do instead of evangelism? As I like to say, you will go much farther being an important part of the team than you will by holding another meeting about how you should be an important part of the team. We spend so much time talking about empathy, putting ourselves in our customers' shoes, researching people's experiences and designing for them, and then we don't do that for our own teammates. We don't consider that most people don't want to hear another UX evangelism presentation. We don't consider what our teammates need from us. What's their experience of working with us? Why is their dissatisfaction with us so high? What is their job like when we disappear and don't communicate? Imagine you're a product manager or product owner, developer, QA engineer. What do those people need from you? Well, don't imagine, don't guess, find out. We should be using our CX and UX abilities to build a coworker experience that matches everybody's needs. People come up to me after my talks and they complain that their CX or UX teammates disappear into a black box for weeks or months. They throw a finalized design on developers and they run away. Some engineers receive designs they can't build and nobody collaborated with them earlier to talk about technical limitations and requirements. We have to stop doing that. Many CX workers sometimes avoid engineers because it's no fun trying to work with the people who sometimes don't think a lot of you. But the best way to change that relationship is to keep showing up. Be, um, be involved, collaborate, ask them questions early in the process, show them your work as you go, not for their approval, but so that they can look at it from the engineering side and say, Yes, we can build this, or no, we can't build this. Change your concept. So remember, give cross-functional teammates all the documents that can be passed around outside of the CX team. Make sure they've got personas and understand how they're used. Show them customer journey maps, research, customer feedback, your information architecture process, not because you need their approval, but it'll help if they see what you're really working on other than drawing boxes on a page. Get tools in place, tools for communication, sharing concepts, sharing documentation, sharing designs and specs. Ask for tickets in JIRA or version one or whatever they're using. Don't settle for a Trello board or spreadsheet of UX issues if everybody's in JIRA. You're on the team and you should be part of the communication and documentation system. They should create tickets and assign them to you. When you get a ticket or a question or a Slack message, especially from engineering, make it a high priority. Stop everything else if you can. Teach engineers that they can count on you to provide fast and thorough answers. When those tickets come in, I try to stop everything. I'm now their bottleneck. They might imagine Debbie is blocking the agile team. I don't want to hear that. That is not how we build a relationship. So I can't say, oh, engineers have a question. I'll answer them tomorrow. 
No, that makes me a pretty bad person. And the example on the screen, for those who can see the screen, is a uh, QA lead had uh, assigned a ticket to me or, or mentioned me in a ticket. I got the notification. And within three minutes, I had some follow-up questions and asked for some ideas. I asked for some time to work on some ideas. So they know I'm active and I'm working on it. And that is so much better for collaboration than another meeting about how great I am. If we only show up to meetings to fight or evangelize and never show up to bring positivity, help, improvement, discussion, and collaboration, then other people get a very one-sided impression of CX and UX. Ask to be invited to all of the recurring meetings and the random team meetings. Go to as many of these meetings as you can fit into your schedule. Work with your manager to improve how you are assigned to projects so you can get to more of these meetings. I know you're thinking, hey, Deb, I hate meetings. Why would I go to more meetings? Here's my little trick. I go to the engineering meetings when they are engineering, talking about engineering. I bring work that I have to do. And I say to everybody, I'm here right now. I'm half listening. If anything comes up that's CX or UX, I'm right here, just ask me. But you know what? I'm only half listening. I have to work on this other thing. And every meeting I've been in, they've been cool with that. And that way, and maybe your team will be cool, maybe they won't. But the difference was that when something came up that was UX, because I'm there, they asked me. I find that when you're not in an engineering meeting, they come up with their own answers. Now we're fighting. Now we feel disrespected. So go to these meetings, even if you're only half listening and you're working on someone, something else, just be honest about that. And that way they know you are there and they can ask you questions. It can work. So in general, I asked myself, how do I want non-UX and non-CX teammates to see me? And in order for them to see me that way, I have to be these things. I can't pretend. So thinking about engineering, though it's really true for all of my teammates, I want them to think Debbie listens to and considers engineering's ideas. Well, sure, I've used Mural to hold an ideation workshop with engineering to get some ideas from them. I don't have them sketch screens. I just collect ideas. To me, there's a huge difference between collecting ideas and collecting executions of ideas, which would be sketched screens. I'm against that. So lots of people gave good ideas. And when I use them, I made sure to credit those people by name. Then they feel important. They feel listened to. They know I'm not stealing their ideas. And it's a beautiful thing. Debbie explains her ideas, designs, and decisions. Debbie collaborates early and often and doesn't blindside engineering later with final designs. Debbie's a fun person I like to talk to. She's approachable. I can send her a Slack message and trust that it'll be a good conversation. Debbie is a low ego action hero. I can disagree or I can offer another idea and she'll take it seriously. Debbie makes engineering feel included. Debbie has made engineering see the importance of CX and UX by solving small and large things quickly so their work wasn't delayed. You know what tells teammates these things better than another meeting about how great UX is? 
when I am these things consistently, hourly, daily, when you tap into what your teammates need and meet or exceed those expectations, you don't need to evangelize. It'll take time, but they will become your advocate. Now let's talk about who we hire. <clears throat> Here's a job description from a Fortune 100 company in America looking for a senior UX designer. A recruiter had contacted me, this was a couple of years ago, and they, I learned that the job was to lead a new mobile team that was going to fix this company's one-star app, one star out of five, bad. I loved the idea of a senior title and senior pay with lead or manager work. Not really. But let's take a look at this job description. So for starters, they wanted six years of full user-centered design, including research and testing. Okay. Then they wanted high fidelity prototyping, which means you've got to have a prototyping subspecialty and uh, you've probably got to be a visual designer or work with existing UI kit or components or, or style guide or design system. And I also love the idea that while leading a mobile team, fixing a very broken app, you've got spare time because UX doesn't take long, right? The screen says you're going to spend 20% of your time on side projects like print pieces that the marketing department needs. What? Well, swallow your coffee because this job also requires that you are a professional illustrator, a subspecialty even in art. This goes way beyond purple unicorn. I learned that the hiring manager is a visual designer. Is that 100% bad all the time? No, there are some visual designers who get CX and UX and manage it well. But when that design manager doesn't get UX and wants everybody to be a talented artist, we are killing what we're doing. We are placing less qualified people into important jobs. I asked the recruiter if the hiring manager would consider getting everything he was asking for, minus the illustrator, since that's not really relevant and it sounds like the person getting this job won't have time for illustrating anyway. The recruiter said, nope, we need an illustrator. So I drew a picture. I'm not an illustrator, uh, but I would have done an awesome job at that job if they had allowed artwork to be done by someone with talent and time. I'm just not a talented artist. I, I do art direction, but don't make me do the art itself. But why would this senior UX designer, full user-centered design job go to a great illustrator? Let's talk about what I call the gate. The gate is that one quality, maybe two, that a job requires where it won't matter how great candidates are at anything else. If they don't have this, the gate doesn't open. You need to be an illustrator. You need military clearance. There's nothing wrong with having a gate. It's okay to have standards, but I'm suggesting that we stop making art talent, the gate for CX and UX jobs that don't have to be visual designer jobs. If I'm working with an existing library or design system, you don't need me to be an artist or a UI expert or have done extensive artwork. I'm just putting in pre-decided components. 
So I understand if you need someone who has security clearances, that could be a deal breaker, but we've got to stop excluding CX and UX specialists for CX jobs because the gate is art school stuff like typography, color theory, visual design, branding, logos, and illustration. Somehow I've had a career for 25 years without being good at any of those. Someone told me a year or so ago that they were rejected from a UX researcher job because they couldn't show a visual design portfolio. Your gate is broken. If we want to teach others at our company that CX and UX are unique specialties, then we must hire as if it's a unique specialty. We can't give a junior graphic designer wireframing and then expect everybody to see that CX is a formalized discipline for specialists. We make it look like anybody can do this. And I've seen workplaces thrilled to hire juniors and people right out of boot camps thinking they can throw a lot of work at them and pay them very little. But more than anything, these juniors need mentoring and support. They need work reviews. They need help leveling up. They need help with soft skills like presentations and knowing how and when to pick battles. They need to learn the lawyer-like skills that many of us more experienced people have developed. But what message do we send when our company or team hires only or mostly juniors and entry-level people but expects expert-level work? It sounds like, hey, you can do a CX job with no experience. We don't even need other people on the team. At w in what other department at our company do they hire one or two recent graduates to do all of the specialized work? Now I've got a few slides for you managers and leaders out there. And if you're not a manager or leader, prepare to show these to your manager or leader. We need much stronger CX leadership. Management needs to work with managers from product and project and other departments to make sure that CX and UX are brought in during the earliest planning of features and stories. If we're not at the table from those earliest conversations, we will all be surprised later when we are given junk projects that waste company time and money while building something CX knows the customer doesn't need or want. I can't see any of you right now, but hands up, how many people have been working on something at their job and they knew this was going to be garbage for the customer? This isn't what the customer needed or it wasn't the right thing to build. I bet everybody who's ever had a UX job is raising their hand. That is sad. And when I do my other talks, my dev and UX talks for engineers, I ask them a similar question. Hey, engineers, how many of you were building a product and knew it was garbage? Everybody raises their hands. Why do we have a culture of silence? Why do we claim to be agile, which is all about changing direction when you find you're going in the wrong direction? How can we claim to be lean, which is all about reducing defects and improving quality, if we are afraid to say, this is garbage, we've got to fix this. So managers, we got to collaborate with other teams. We've got to empower our workers to be able to stand up and say, this is garbage and we can do better.
Management also needs to work with other departments to make sure other departments are letting CX and UX do their job. This is in the Agile Manifesto Principle. Principle five, build projects around motivated individuals. Give them the environment and support that they need and trust them to get the job done. Quote Agile back at people. I find that works sometimes. Hey, managers. Don't push people to be jacks of all trades or unicorns. Most unicorns aren't even unicorns. They're great at one thing. They're good at some other things. They're okay at some other things. And they're pretty terrible at lots of things. Why would we want someone who is okay to terrible doing mission critical work at our company? What, to save some money? That's not going to work out in the long run. I remember meeting a guy at a conference. He was uh, a manager of a UX and UI team. And he came up to me all proud and he goes, I'm making my artists learn to code. And I said, do your artists want to learn to code? And he said, it doesn't matter. Artists should know how to code. And I said, well, how does your engineering department feel about the code the artists are writing? Is this code good? Is it saving engineers time? Is it wasting their time? Is it make, giving them more work to do because the code's not that great? And he walked away. Let specialists do specialist work. The days are busy enough. Play to people's strengths. Play to people's specialties. You can expand your skills if you want, but not because we forced you or bullied you into trying to be a fake unicorn. Um, so if we hate when other people try to do our jobs, let's make sure we're not trying to do other people's jobs. If you're working from a design system or you happen to be a great visual designer, it can feel fast and easy to work in high fidelity with that final visual look. Please consider more medium fidelity work. Even Nielsen Norman Group agrees. It helps teammates see that CX architecture and design aren't visual design, and the two can be separated. We can work on the blueprints of the house before it gets its interior design. And if it doesn't test well, why did we burn all that time on the visual design? Um, also, great visual design can't save bad UX and shouldn't mask it. I know some people disagree with me separating visual design and other aspects of UX, but since I am a non-artist with a degree in music, I see much clearer lines between visual design and other specialties and tasks within user-centered design. And if we, in our own profession, don't draw more lines between visual design and other specialties, how can we expect others to make that separation when hiring for our jobs? And of course, Prototypes. We've got to start making more realistic prototypes. Uh, for example, I teach people Axure. It doesn't make sense to make Sketch and Figma and Envision as prototypes that we're going to test with people because they're not realistic. People are not using a realistic model of whatever this is going to be. And that can flaw your testing. That's bad science. So it's really important to do more realistic prototyping in Axure or something else. And also I find that engineers love to get my prototypes because then they can click through it and see exactly what they're building rather than having to read through a lot of documentation. 
Now, I'd like to spend some time on some of the newest forms of evangelism that we've seen in the last few years because they concern me. And I know some of my opinions, uh, for some people it's hooray, and for some people it's controversial, but I know you're all smart, you are critical thinkers, you have empathy, so don't just dismiss what I'm saying. If you happen to disagree, please think critically about what I'm saying. Let's say our company has a challenge related to our product and what we want to build. We're going to need to research, design, test, and iterate on something really important to the strategy of this company or brand. There's a lot at stake. We might want to call in a big consulting company, or we've been hiring some great people and we want our workers to handle this. In my world, and let's imagine I work at your company, I want that big product challenge given to me and my team. I want to research the heck out of it. I want to talk to everybody. Customers, customer support, sales, marketing, product, engineering, stakeholders, and of course, a zillion users. This is a big challenge. We've got to approach it strategic, strategically and thoroughly. After mountains of research, we want the time to prototype, test, and iterate. Rounds and rounds of it. We've got to go for quality over speed. Don't give me a week to do this. This is a serious product or service question at our company, right? I'm putting the band back together and we're going to be low ego action heroes. But lately, what happens at some of our companies instead? What ends up happening is often a design sprint or a team saying they will use design thinking. Hey, we can solve this in a week. We'll just do some exercises. Well, is it really being solved? And in a week? Is it better than what I could have done without wasting everybody's time for a week? Design thinking. Do any two of us have the same definition of it? We know that design thinking is a meaningless term because of what it takes to get a certificate in it. You just have to know there are five steps and lots of fun group craft exercises. Nobody judged, tested, or assessed your ability to empathize. Nobody tested how completely you understood the problem and the customers. Nobody checked if your ideas were viable or good. Nobody checked if you prototyped well. Nobody judged, checked, or assessed your testing plan, discussion guide, participants, execution, or interpretation of your testing. Everybody gets a design thinking trophy, and they're often sure they're as good as I am at UX work. We don't guess or crowdsource customer journeys. We don't imagine what customers do. We don't do workshops and guess at what people do. This is not the path to quality. Our company and our projects are too important to be left to guesses and assumptions. Our work is about depth and quality. It's not about checking tasks off a list, whether or not they were done well. It's about building customer journey maps and other things because we interviewed and observed people. We know what their journey was. We're not making it up. We show our proficiency through science and technique. We can't just throw templates and group exercises at problems without care for the quality of the work being done. These tasks and tools are building blocks on my model of proficiency. Uh, without science, technique, and critical thinking, they're probably garbage. Design thinking has little to no depth, quality, science, or technique, unless you define design thinking as the same as user, 
uh, user-centered design or human-centered design? Well, in that case, just call it user-centered design or human-centered design. But design thinking is missing information architecture, usually qualitative research, uh, interaction design best practices, content strategy. It's missing so much. It is not mini UX. It's really a mess. This was going around LinkedIn as the UX process, though in Portuguese. And you can recognize this as the steps of design thinking, but with a mini Olympics of possible technologies, user needs, and business objectives. From what I see people posting on LinkedIn, more and more people appear to believe that if they get certified in design thinking, they do what we do. I saw one post that said design thinking is a framework that boils down designers and innovators' best traits so anybody can use them. Wow, someone can use my best traits. Amazing. Just follow the framework and you can do what the best designers do. So taking a look at this screen, <clears throat> let me ask you, is that your process? When you interviewed at your most recent job and they asked your approach to CX or UX design or research or whatever your specialty is, did you say you design, do design thinking? Did you say first you create empathy? If so, I hope you will tell me later how you create empathy. And then I'm going to ask you what your definition of empathy is because you might find that it doesn't match the actual dictionary definition of empathy. So if I looked at your portfolio, is this what I would see? For the most part, no. So why are we socializing, spreading, and training something we don't even do? When you're brought on to a new project at work, do you say, yep, time to switch into my design thinking mindset? Of course not. You have UX running through your blood and there is no off switch. And when I see job descriptions say you'll need to evangelize design thinking, I have to ask, what is going on at this company? Why aren't we talking about user-centered design and human-centered design? Design thinking evangelizes itself. It's a dead end. You can't walk down one block of a street without seeing the four horsemen of bad UX popping up everywhere in real-life services and digital interfaces. And I mean you personally, because you have UX in your blood. This is a don't walk sign in Tilburg, Netherlands. What does this mean? Don't pee in a burlap sack while waiting for the light to change? Do pee in a burlap sack? I found out that's actually what it means. Not everybody defines design thinking the way it was defined 10 or more years ago, and it's still changing. No matter what it means today or tomorrow, you will still do what you're doing. It's running through your blood, and I can't come up with a trendy name for it because it's a unique talent not everybody has. And here's a few more examples. This was General Assembly posting to LinkedIn saying, empathizing with users isn't just a UX concept. How applying design thinking to code refactoring can lead to a better software experience. The article they linked to said to refactor bad code. Step one, empathize with the audience. Step two, define the problem scope. Step three, ideate on different solutions. Step four, prototype. Step five, test your code. What did engineers who needed to refactor code do before someone told them to use design thinking? I can't imagine saying this to a developer and not being punched in the face. Here's something else from LinkedIn. 
kids are the best design thinkers around. What is this design thinking? <clears throat> My favorite is an article from January 2020 from Fortune Magazine's newsletter. It was called, quote, the coronavirus problem could be solved with design thinking. Well, the articles had little or had no proof or evidence that design thinking could solve the coronavirus, but the author was sure that the entire country of China needed more empathy and ideating. That jumps the shark. We've got a picture for that. That's an American phrase. You'll have to Google that. That jumps the shark. But it also exposes design thinking for how meaningless and arrogant it can be. It's bad enough that people think design thinking can replace a good UX process. Let's please not show up to other industries or world pandemics and tell them just do design thinking. And if design thinking is this amazing and can solve everything, why do we still have coronavirus? Get on it, design thinkers. Design sprints were originally invented by Google and are best known for being used with Google Venture startups. The idea behind design sprints, at least originally, was that startups didn't have product or UX workers, so how would they decide what they're going to build for their MVP? So design sprints and the MVP are two startup concepts that could go well together for startups. They're not really a great match for non-startups because we have UX workers. We know how to test concepts without coding them and releasing them to the public. We've got a product team that knows how to prioritize and create a product roadmap. And why are we trying to model after startups when they fail like 90% of the time? So in short, design sprints are devolving fast. In version one, everybody has to stop what they're doing for five days, get together locked in a room, to understand the problem, sketch solutions, pick one, prototype it, and test it. This is the very short version. I know there's a lot more that goes on there, but that's the short version. And then somebody said, well, wait a minute, this isn't going quite right. And they came up with version two of Design Sprints. This doesn't replace Design Sprints version one. This is just another version you could do. And they said, you know, we really shouldn't have everybody in the room trying to prototype and test. Not everybody's great at prototyping and testing. We should really leave that to the experts. So Design Sprints version two is a two-day design sprint where people understand the problems, sketch screens, and pick their favorite, and then experts prototype and test it. But someone realized there were still more problems with Design Sprints, and they invented Design Sprints version three, which doesn't replace the other two. It's just another version you can do. Design Sprints version three realized Sometimes we show up to do a design sprint and the problem is garbage. It's not a real problem or it's not the right problem. We're going to go in the wrong direction. So design sprints version three said to avoid that before the design sprint starts, experts should do weeks of research, talking to customers, making personas, making the customer journey maps. That way those things aren't team craft exercises. They were done ahead of time by experts. So I took a look at this and I said, well, then what's Design Sprints version four? If the experts should be doing the research and all of its related artifacts ahead of time, and the experts should be doing prototyping and testing, the only thing that's really left is, let's get everybody together and sketch screens. I still don't want that. I really don't. 
Um, and I keep hearing like, oh yeah, go faster, go faster. Just have people sketch for an hour. I'm not buying it. I think design sprints are going to undo themselves. And because design thinking has kind of latched onto design sprints, I think they're going to undo themselves. And I think we're going to see that in the next year or so. Because people, anyone who does the math on this stuff is going to find they're spending a lot of money on these meetings and these ideas that usually don't make the company money. As soon as we start calculating this stuff, these things are going to go out of style fast. Oh, let's see. Do I want to skip this slide for uh, time? Oh, yeah. This was about how I did. I recently did one of my Dev and UX talks, and I have people build a customer journey map just based on a persona. They're totally making it up. They're totally guessing, just like what happened in design thinking and design sprints. And one of the people attending the workshop who was an engineer noticed what garbage this was before the exercise ended. And I revealed, this is why we don't guess at these things. This is why they're not team craft exercises. And he said, I've got a quote, I think. He said, serious business decisions will be made from this and we're guessing at it. If this is what UX does, it makes me lose faith in UX. He didn't lose faith in the exercise. He didn't lose faith in me. He didn't lose faith in customer journey maps. He was losing faith in UX. Please remember these things. Don't build teams. They hurt teams and they're hurting what we're doing. This is all the short versions. I've got much longer versions of these things on my YouTube channel. And of course, the Lean UX book is a flaming pile of garbage. Lean UX is another fake method trying to turn everybody into doing more workshops. I'm using the 2016 second edition of the book, but here's a couple of key reasons why Lean UX is garbage, and you can always go to my uh, YouTube channel to see more. The authors claim they don't want work by committee, but their definition of collaboration means that all work is a team effort done by committee everywhere, always. You are not allowed to do any work yourself in Lean UX. UX workers are team exercise facilitators. They tell you don't let specialists do work. Everything has to be done by the team, which is codependent and a little bit weird. For something claiming to be lean, it's high on waste. It's got a lot of meetings with a lot of frameworks, with a lot of sticky notes, with a lot of deliverables. That's really quite wasteful. I don't need to do any of those things to do great and amazing work. Unbelievable wasted time. Lean UX also relies quite heavily on... Uh, uh, docu uh, not, I'm sorry, on what stakeholders want. Lean UX believes that you should start excuse me, with a, a problem statement from a stakeholder. But wait a minute, didn't we just learn from Design Sprints version three that sometimes the problem we get from the stakeholder is garbage and that we need to do some research up front to see who our customers are and if that's really even a problem? So uh, Design Sprints version three undoes Lean UX. Uh, and also, Lean UX loves, loves, loves guesses and assumptions rather than collecting uh, and using great data. This doesn't make any sense because ultimately, guesses and assumptions are not time savers. We can pretend now that they save time, but when we find out later that we were wrong, how much time and money did we waste? Will we get fired? And will we be in big trouble? 
So there's nothing in Agile, there's nothing in Lean, there's nothing in Six Sigma that says, hooray, we thought we saved time, but we really wasted time, isn't this great? Um, and also the Lean UX bizarrely in places recommends no documentation, thinking that's Lean, when it's not. Um, because we were all in that meeting. Because everything you do is a meeting with other people. Lean seems to Lean UX seems to assume everybody remembers everything everybody said, and everybody remembers it the same way. This is just wacky. So workshop by committee uh, workshops, democratization, and team exercises are sold as great ways to do team building. But put on your critical thinking hats as I ask you. If team building is best done by group exercises and workshops, where are all of the group exercises and workshops being run by marketing, product management, uh, scrum masters, developers? They all have work that we could sketch and brainstorm, but how many of these teams are doing workshops or exercises that include you? Zero. That means the excuse of team building is a lie, because if that's how we build teams, we would do it in all areas and domains at our company. Magically, they just want to do these workshops in UX, because everybody wants to own a piece of what we do without letting us get involved in what they do. That's, that's not democratization. If they claim to want it, they're not democratizing themselves. They're trying to democratize you, which is bad. See my... Uh, podcast on that. Um, and remember, when we call all of these meetings and workshops, I think the number one impression we give other people is we don't know what we're doing. And I found that a lot of UX newbies love these workshops. They love design thinking, design sprints, and lean UX because you don't have to be good at UX. You just have to be a workshop facilitator. And it allows people who are new at UX to imagine, well, I'll just get everyone together to do the UX work and no one will notice if I'm any good at this. That's not the right way to go. You're going to lower the quality of our work and lower the impression other people have of our profession just to try to cover your own butt. It's not worth it. You might undo your future job. I do still have a handful of slides and I know we started after some announcements, so hopefully I've got a few more minutes and then I'm happy to take questions. So let's talk about what to do instead. I know it's been great to find something we thought we could evangelize. Design thinking and design sprints really are that new form of evangelism. People definitely want to talk about them. And we imagine that they're getting everybody really thinking about design. But if you get your company into design thinking, and then you want to do a one or two month deep user research project, will they give you that time? Will they give you that money? Or will they say, no, we're doing design thinking. Just think about users. Just have empathy for them. Just, just do some workshops. If you are not seeing more respect, more time, more budget, more experts being hired into UX, then you have successfully evangelized design thinking, but not successfully evangelized or, or done anything positive for UX or user-centered design. So number one. Get out of the building. A little bit harder during the pandemic, but gather your cross-functional team and stakeholders and leadership to observe customer interviews. Now, I'm doing a, an observational study now in Zoom, and then I record it, and then I make sure that everybody watches the recordings later. They need to see customers' realities. This has to be better than staying at the office and putting sticky notes on the wall and guessing at what people do. Get out there, whether it's 
remotely and virtual or in person when it's safe again, go watch our customers meet the four horsemen of bad UX. I like, as I said earlier, to use my own flavor of an ideation workshop where I collect ideas, but I have each idea written like a user story. That way we keep people focused on the customers and their real needs, and we don't have people sketching the exact screens or possible solutions. That can also be on-site or remote. If your company insists on doing things like design sprints, then make sure whatever is the ideas that uh, people came up with during the workshop go to you and go through a user-centered design process. Not just the winning idea, because remember, the winning idea was popular vote, for, and, and you don't hang up stuff at your desk and have people vote on it, right? No, please don't. So make sure you get all of the ideas in case the one that, ones that didn't win were better than the one that got a popular vote. And that way you can bring them through the user-centered design process and see if any of them are worth pursuing. Um, so as I just said, we do not hang stuff at our desk and have people vote on it. So that kind of shows us some of the, the faults in design thinking and design sprints. Remember that every team exercise or workshop we do should have success criteria and KPIs, which are key performance indicators, which are metrics that we can measure to say, this worked, this didn't work. We should be calculating the costs of these and we should be calculating the ROI. So for example, watch workshop outputs. What did these cost in the short and long term to come up with that winning idea? To have piles of people in a room for days missing out on their usual work. Um, these costs can really add up, especially when we see how much work we start putting into that winning idea after the design sprint. Or if it failed, why did it fail? And we also need to have success criteria and be better at calculating these costs because when we do that, we're going to shine a spotlight on where these workshops are just emotional. Well, every time I try to research design thinking and design sprints and someone tells me they work, I always hear stuff like, we really enjoyed design thinking or we really had a good team camaraderie. And I say, well, that sounds like a lovely time at summer camp, but this is a job and we need to make sure that this stuff is paying off. It doesn't make sense to spend this much time and money on holding hands and, and singing. Um, I also recommend that people shift their terms to what they really mean. Don't use watered down terms like design thinking if you mean human-centered design or user-centered design and the full arc of everything we should be doing to research, architect, uh, interaction design, prototype test, iterate and improve on concepts and their execution. Please don't water it down. Every job at our company is complex and has complexities. Every job at our company has their own lingo and uses their own terms like Kubernetes cluster and CICD pipeline. Don't water it down or try to make it into a baby's toy for other people. You, will, you can teach them our terms, but don't come up with baby versions of stuff. It doesn't represent us accurately. So we want to get that seat at the table. We want to be taken seriously. And we know that a lot of people at our company don't have empathy. And we know this because when we say customers are having problems, we aren't magically given a budget to fix those problems. That would be great, but it doesn't happen. 
that means we're going to have to start tying our work to metrics and things that we can measure so that we can show the achievement of business goals. Um, and I know this idea is catching on because I, I gave this talk a year and a half ago and it inspired some other famous UX speakers to write an entire talk just about that. <laughs> I like to joke, I'm so inspiring. Um, so remember that a lot of people think that we're just a pair of hands. We just make pretty screens. And if the project is a success, thanks to all the people who did the hard work, no thanks to UX, you just made pretty screens. So we have to do a better job tying what we do to that ROI and the other metrics. And I remind people that in many cases, your new best friends might be from the marketing department. Very often we're fighting with the marketing department have the attention and the money of the business because they have a bunch of goals that they need to achieve. They need to uh, market the products and help create more sales. They have KPIs and metrics. They have ways to measure how they're doing and they're in trouble when they don't meet that. The average chief marketing officer at a company is fired in about working somewhere in about two years. It is wild. These people get fired so fast because they're not meeting their numbers. We can partner with marketing and we can take over some work they're trying to do now that they're bad at, like the website, and we can help them. We can make sure if they're going to A-B test something that well, A is what we have now, but B is better. We can do a whole UCD process behind the scenes and make sure B is a much stronger idea and execution before we A-B test it. So there's so many ways that we can help marketing look good. And in turn, they'll be able to say, we got this done because of our partnership with CX and UX. And when we get tied to the achievements of those goals, that's really going to help us at companies. Because right now, a lot of companies complain, oh, CX and UX, they're not focused on the business enough. They're not making stakeholders happy. They're too focused on customers, as if there's something wrong with that. The alternative is building what people don't like or need, and how's that working for us? Why would we do that, even if it made somebody's manager happy? Don't fall for that bullying. So we shouldn't burn stakeholders at the stake. That's not why they're called stakeholders. But the real issue is, why doesn't our diagram look like this? Why aren't business goals and customer needs more aligned? Or why do they start aligned and then end up on different planets once a business analyst has overwritten the requirements? We've, if we are trying to be agile, agile demands that we are collecting feedback from customers. Let's do that qualitatively. And we might have to rethink product features and roadmap. This is part of agile. So if the business learns that we're not delivering what customers need and what customers see as high quality, the business is going to have to shift. The business has to shift their goals, their strategies. We can't force customers to buy our stuff it's, if it's garbage and it's not what they need. The business has to, if we're going to align these, the business has to shift. And that's where our qualitative research is going to be hugely important. If you are guessing, if you are doing flawed research, if you are relying on some of those terrible aspirologies, um, we're really running a lot of risk for our companies because we don't know enough about customers. So we need more partnerships with marketing and more fresh allies so that we can... Um, 
do a better job uh, of this and, and not be thought of as just the hands that draw the pretty screens. Just a couple of more slides. I want to remind everybody that great UX and CX work mitigates risks in our project, our department, our teams, our company at all levels. And these risks are big and expensive. Remind the people you work with that better customer experiences will, and, and better CX work, like all of the great research and testing we need to do will help us not build the wrong product. We need to build the right product. We don't want to burn engineering's time, budget, and resources on a bad idea. We want to test these ideas early and make sure we're only giving engineering the good stuff. We don't want to cause customers to meet the four horsemen of bad UX, frustration, confusion, disappointment, and distraction. We don't want to burn money on customer support and having to calm people down. We don't want to hear that marketing can't market it and sales can't sell it. I've certainly worked at places where that was true. And of course, we don't want to be reactive, waiting to hear that, oh yeah, we finally ran a survey and some people are unhappy. You are so late. You are reactive and that's going to be high risk for your company. So I'm not the only person out there saying these things. If enough of us can speak up and act on what's going wrong, we can hopefully push our boat in a new direction. Be very mindful of where you're silent and where you speak up. And I know some of that is cultural. Maybe some of you can be a little bit more bold, find it in you. It's, UX has to be bold. You cannot be shy and you've got to speak up. Speak up unemotionally and respectfully. I find that makes other people pay more attention. If we get emotional, they just take us less seriously. So you just have to stay very professional. And I like to remind, oops, too many slides. That's my last slide. I like to remind people of the nine core principles of Delta CX, which is uh, my world and the book that I wrote. And hopefully most of you will look at this and go, yeah, yeah, that's what we should be doing. Um, so I, I'm hoping that more and more when people are looking for something cool to say that they're doing, we'll get away from design thinking. We'll get away from from design sprints. And if you want a cool name for something and user-centered design isn't cool enough, you can call it Delta CX. Otherwise, user-centered design is just fine. So just remember our highest priority is customer satisfaction. We must shoot for quality over speed. Do not get trendy. Forget these fads. We are grounded in proper research. Without it, we are guessing and that's risky and terrible. Success relies on our low ego action heroes. We've got to hire great people and do a better job assessing candidates. Collaboration with respect. Let's break down silos, but not doing design by committee. There's a happy middle ground there. Play to people's strengths because unicorns aren't unicorns. Don't forget customer touch points. Every interaction a customer has adds to the story they tell themselves and others about your brand and company. And finally, my ninth principle is what I call the cambiata, which is Italian for changed. And I use it to mean we strategically take the best path to achieve all of the above, even if that path is non-linear. Think critically and be a change agent. And that is the end. Um, so please drop by deltacx.com and you can get some links to learn more about the book. Um, YouTube channel, again, the Delta CX YouTube channel, Slack, Medium articles, or just email me or find me on LinkedIn and I'll hang around here a little bit and take some questions. Um, but I'll stop sharing my screen and I will say thank you again.
So <clears throat> before I think, uh, please you can drop question on the chat box. So Priyanka will write first. Okay? So before we move and people are uh, asking questions. Uh, so I think today <laughs> the topic which you have said, it is totally on spot on. And in UX expert, uh, we are actually doing this for almost now in eight, for last eight years. And I hope today uh, many people have uh, got some kind of a, uh, really insightful for really what is UX, how and how people are actually following so-called agile or so-called lean processes. Okay. Uh, thanks for this great, great information. And uh, yeah, uh, so I can ask uh, you know, if there are any some questions, please. Oh yeah, I would love to go through the chat room and answer the questions. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. I think uh, yeah. there are people are discussing a lot of things during uh, session, but I think there is no question as such. So I will request if there are any question, please. Uh, write it in the chat room. I'll start going through them because there's lots of questions here. So yeah. let's blow through these. Um, I, some, oh yeah? Yeah, sorry. I, I found a question, so I was going to read it out. Uh, okay. Yeah, so uh, we have a question from Shweta, and uh, she says, how do you typically negotiate time and need to research, especially when product owners follow dedicated sprint cycles and want to ship and test ASAP, deadlines being a priority? Yeah, and that's the problem. The problem is deadlines are a priority, the customer isn't. And that's why this requires a large shift at our companies from, uh, from treating everybody like this is a factory where we are just trying to see how fast everybody can go to caring about quality. So it really is going to take, in that case, a manager. Hopefully you have a UX manager and not some other manager, but you're going to need a manager to work with other teams to change the process. And the process, when I do my dev and UX talk, I say one of the biggest problems between UX and agile is no one allows me to estimate my own time. And I think if we go to agile coaches and scrum masters, product managers and project managers, and we say, why aren't you coming and talking to me about these projects that you're planning so that you can learn how much time I need? And they might say, well, I just guess how much time you need. I would say, yes, but you're usually wrong because you don't understand what I need to do. So you don't understand how long it takes. Please, please stop guessing. Let's start working together. And you, and you can give me your guess. You can say, I think Debbie only needs three days. And when I tell you I need three weeks, you will start to learn a little bit more and maybe you'll get better at estimating. But there's, it does not, if we ask the engineering lead to estimate for the team, and if we ask every agile team member to estimate what they're going to do this sprint, why aren't we estimating our time as well? It really makes no sense. So I hope you'll be able to convince them to allow us to estimate our time. And then as for fitting UX and Agile together, it's very complicated. I have a, I have a few uh, hour long videos on my channel about this, so it's a much longer answer. But the short version is that there's two ways that you can go. 
If they want you planning sprints and, and doing that, you can, but you need to be two or more sprints ahead. Because engineering doesn't understand UX, they think if engineering is working on feature A, UX has to work on feature A right now. They don't understand that UX has to work on feature A first, test it, fix it, make it better, then get it to engineering. Engineering works on A, we work on B. Some people think, oh my God, that's not agile, that's lean, that's waterfall. And I say, that's not waterfall because I didn't build the whole thing. I didn't build the entire product. I built a piece and I have a slide in my, in my talk for, that, that I do for engineers and I show them how the smallest unit that I can work in is what our customer sees as a workflow, as a process. Create an account. That's one process. That means I'm not going to send you a password field and go engineering, build the password field. It's done. It's not done until I test the whole process of creating an account and making sure the password field was great on its own and great in context. And so I try to explain, people go, oh, your waterfall. First of all, agile is a bunch of small waterfalls. Get over it. Second of all, that, that needs this. Get over it. Agile is a bunch of small waterfalls. The end. And if this is an assembly line, and I always tell people, well, you have developers build and then you have QA test. Somehow that's not a waterfall. So what I find tends to work is the more you can learn about agile and the more you can throw it back on them. So really, I can't, I can't design before engineers build, but engineers build before QA tests. Tell me more about this. So those are, uh, you know, I've got hours of this on my channel because it's such a difficult question, but those are some of my suggestions for how to start addressing this. Uh, we have a question from Grace um, and Grace is asking, there's have, there have been situation that there is no dedicated UX manager and how then would proper estimations be respected within the team? Yeah, so if you don't have a UX manager, I would still hope you, as the UX person, can do your own estimations. Now, I know that people who are starting out in UX are usually really bad at estimating their time, and that's okay. You'll get better as it, at it as you do more projects. You'll go, oh, wow, last time that took me three days. I probably shouldn't say one day. So if you don't have, um, the, the manager is mostly there to fight for you and to fight for your involvement in the process. But ultimately, I would expect you or your lead to estimate the time. So don't say, well, I don't really have a UX manager, so I guess I can't estimate the time. No, no, no. Estimate the time. I mean, if you're really not sure, get on a call with me, tell me what you're doing, and I'll take a guess at, at your time. But uh, ultimately, someone's got to estimate the time, and it should be someone from UX. Don't let the project manager or product manager guess. They guessed wrong. Do we have more questions? I'm trying to read all these. You guys were very active in the chat room. I'm sorry I didn't uh, see it. A lot of commentary, especially from Grace and Adeda Mola. I'm sorry I'm bad with names. 
Um, let's see. I was trying to read all the comments. So many comments. Thanks to all of you. It, sound, it sounds like this went mostly well. I know people won't agree with everything I say, but thank you. I uh, was able to stretch deadlines. Yeah, you know, if we can be involved in estimating earlier, we won't have to stretch deadlines later. We can say, I told you I needed three weeks. Like, and also pad your estimates, everybody. If you think you can do it in three days, ask for five days. And maybe they say, no, too many. Okay, four days. If you really can do it in three days, you still win. And if you ask for four days and then do it in three days, you are the low ego action hero. You are the superstar. So uh, let's see. So Masri oh. says, lovely session. Thank you all. Yeah. What else did you find, Priyanka? Uh, yeah, so Gopal is asking, CS is no doubt a bigger umbrella, but we cannot deny the reality and uh, CX is terminated from, from UX. So UX spread its wings and UX came into, uh, sorry, UX spread its wing and uh, CX came into picture. So is CX role is just expansion of UX? Yeah, I think it is. So here's what happened. In the early 1990s, Don Norman invented the term user experience. And he imagined that it would mean everything that we did with a company. It was thinking about a product. It was going to the store and looking at the product. It was putting it in your car. It was, is it too heavy to carry? It was a service. It was talking to people. He imagined that the user experience was all of this. And it probably started out that way, but over time, the term changed. And we know over time terms changed since 20 years ago, design thinking was meaningful. So the, over time, the term changed and it started meaning smaller and smaller things until UX was digital screens. Digital screens on your phone, tablet, computer, smartwatch, Nest thermostat, and UX became very small. And I found and in the last 10 years at a lot of jobs when I've gone in and I've said, hey, let me also work on what's going on in our stores. They said, oh, no, 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 we have another team that works on the store, like a physical store in like a shopping mall. And I would say, well, that doesn't make sense because to the customer, this is all a continuation. The digital experience and the human experience are, are they continued with each other. So what I found a few years ago was that some people were using the term CX to mean the, I guess I learned this four or five years ago, to mean everything and really everything Don Norman originally meant. The problem is now so many people think UX are, are I, I hear all the time, at least in America, artsy, fartsy hipsters. Does that make sense in India? I don't know. But I hear UX, they're just artsy, fartsy hipsters who sketch screens and that's easy. Anybody can do that. You guys are losers. And I think that UX has such a branding problem. You know, we can think of companies that have branding problems and the public is angry at them. People are angry at UX. People don't understand it and they, don't, they think they don't want it. But funny enough, I find at those same companies, they want CX. So I think shifting our terms will help us a little bit. We're still doing the same things. I'm still doing the same things. But I find I get more respect from certain types of workers when I say CX versus when I say UX. So I would say, you're right, Gopal. CX is a bit of an expansion of the new, smaller ver definition of UX. Yeah, 
Uh, we have another question from Shweta and she wants to know how do you get your team to focus on the problem than the solution? That is a hard one because very often people think that being solution focused is fast and fast is good. And they don't recognize that they have the wrong problem or they're solving the problem incorrectly or this isn't the only problem. And, and that's hard if you are never allowed to do any research. And, and sometimes it's an ego problem. Sometimes you say, well, let's do a little research and make sure that's really what our customers are experiencing. And someone will say, no, 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 we know the customers. So what I think people are going to have to do more of, even though it's very awkward, I think we're going to have to start tracking down, put on your detective hat. I don't have a detective hat. I'll try this one today. Put on your detective hat and you are going to have to find the records of the money that we spent when our companies got it wrong. I'm sure all of you work at a company that has put out something to the customers that was wrong, that had to be removed, that had to be fixed. Start working maybe with your manager, start working on learning what did that cost us? What did that cost us in time? What did we have to delay to go fix this old thing? And I think that it's going to take time and sometimes you just have to quit a terrible company so you may not be able to fix this place. But I think that with time, we're going to have to show people that guessing costs us way more time and money in, in the long run than if we spent more time and people are afraid to spend more time and money now. But I think if we can show them records of the time and money we had to spend later to fix things, someone should hopefully say, let's spend a little bit of that up front now so we don't have these problems later. I would, I would try a little bit of that, but it is very hard to work, to change a company that has big egos or uh, unreasonable confidence that we need research to learn new things. Okay. Uh, we have a question from Krishna and Krishna says, hi, Debbie. Thanks for the wonderful insights. Um, how do we manage the UX estimations and rework when the requirements change midway from the stakeholders in Agile? Because it might require this uh, restructuring. Yeah, obviously that's hard. And I think another question is, why are the requirements changing in the middle? Now, Agile welcomes changing requirements, but what research didn't we do up front? Uh, that's always a question. You know, usually the stakeholders are changing requirements in the middle because they thought they have a better idea or they changed their mind. But what about customers? Hello, customers. Anybody care? Knock, knock. So I think what you have to do is make sure that you have an understanding with your team. So project, product, other people that your engineering is based on this scope and these requirements and that if these change you might need to re-estimate this i mean engineering is going to re-estimate they're not going to stick to their old estimations we have to do new estimations also so i, I try to remind people that if something about the project changes then it, it's almost like we're starting, you know, are we starting over? We have to look at what do we have that still works or are we starting over? So again, I think your best um, 
angle here is everybody else is going to give you a new estimate. I need to give you a new estimate too. Yeah. I think uh, uh, a few questions, but I think we are much ahead of the time now. Sorry. So, yeah. uh, no, no, see, so I think uh, you can ask question on LinkedIn or somewhere. Yeah, please find me anywhere or every Tuesday, even though it's 11 at night, your time in India, I do live on YouTube, office hours, ask me anything, and I just take questions for an hour. Sure, sure. Thanks, I think Priyanka, you can conclude now. Yeah, thank you, Debbie. It was a really nice um, talk and I really Thanks. learned a lot. Um, thank you, Risha, for um, creating such an amazing platform. Also, I would like to announce our next talk, which is going to be on the 1st of November. And uh, Mr. Alipta Ballav, who is a senior UX design manager at uh, Cerner Corporation and also a design mentor, um, he is going to be talking about designing the web for uh, disabilities. So um, I hope you all will join us there. Um, more details will be up on the on our website and uh, all our social media handles. So follow us and uh, uh, sorry for the questions. You can send those questions to uh, us or uh, Debbie as well. And uh, we are pretty active on LinkedIn. So um, I'm sure we'll try to answer all them, uh, all of them. So thank you and happy Dashera again. Bye bye. Thanks. 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 Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you.